Solomon Kinley in the backfield. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. And Tua throwing the other way to a wide open Durham spike for the touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. 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 Diagnosis. Shotgun. Murray. Prognosis. Out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Osmos. Six seconds. Murray. Hour number two, talk a little NFL draft this hour, recap it all, look at the Raiders picks, look at the big board with everybody, Trevor Maddich will join us here in a matter of moments, talk VGK, last night's collapse against the Minnesota Wild, we'll hit that a little bit later on, want to thank uh, the big seven footer, Big Bill Carwright for joining us, our terrible Tuesday takes, if you got some terrible Tuesday thoughts and takes, you can hit us on Twitter at TCMartin21, also at VGK Frank. Give us your terrible Tuesday takes. All right. NFL draft. It's over. We can now take a deep breath, start analyzing the teams, the picks, all that stuff. And uh, you can't grade a draft for another two to three years. Okay. So well, you shouldn't. We shouldn't. And But, you know, people with draft grades, too premature. Guys haven't even reported, you know, to their teams yet. I mean, come on. But – what you can do when you look at a draft board and say, okay, did these teams address their needs? You can do that. And that's kind of as far as it goes. But again, it's just like everything else that we've been talking about for the last hour, you know, jumping to conclusions. Well, Aaron Rodgers could go to these teams. No, no, you, you can't do that because the Packers are unlikely going to trade him. So quit talking about it. Quit putting lists out there. There are no lists. Rogers the Raider. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> nonsense. And so just like that, I don't want to hear about any draft grades because you haven't seen these guys in uniform on the field yet. And I'm sure our good friend Trevor Maddich has thoughts about all of the above. The 15-time Emmy Award winner who uh, t- has taken a deep breath. Hopefully he's got a little bit of rest because he was definitely the hardest working man in draft business who did a fantastic job on the ESPN radio broadcast uh, last uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever. Trevor, what's going on, buddy? Hey, TC, I am great. Uh, and what a draft, huh? Yeah. A little bit of drama. And you know what? Yeah. A whole big dollop of Aaron Rodgers plopped right on top of the stew <laughs> right before the draft. <laughs> All right, Trevor, give us your thoughts. Uh, you know, when, when you hear the, the Aaron Rodgers talk and you know where the situation is right now uh give us your take well it's hard to say you know i i on the one hand i think that he's just not going back there he's going to force his way on out of there but he doesn't have the option does he the packers have that option and so i and i don't know that he should be so eager to get out of there i think he saw what tom brady did and you know wants to kind of duplicate that but he'd have to duplicate it with the situation that Tom Brady walked into. I mean, they had a, a deep stable of receivers and tight ends, and they brought in you know, running backs, and they brought in offensive linemen between draft and free agency, et cetera, in terms of all these position groups, and they built around him an offense that he can really do stuff with. And the last thing that, that Rodgers would want is to get traded somewhere that now is in a rebuild. And we know the Packers are good enough to at least make it to the NFC Championship game. 
And if they just get a couple of guys that they can uh, upgrade with, then maybe they'll be able to get passed back into the Super Bowl. So, really, I think Rodgers, if he's really thinking the grass is greener on the other side because it was greener for Tom Brady, I, I don't know that, that that is something that he ought to really hang his hat on. And the thing about it is, Trevor, I don't think it really has anything to do with Tom Brady. I mean, this who this is who Aaron Rodgers is. And he complained last year when the Packers drafted Jordan Love out of Utah State. He was hurt. This is about ego. This is about money. It's those two things. And can your ego be patronized a little bit or, or maybe taken back a little bit? Well, sure, if there's money. And the money can always ease the ego a little bit. You want to feel respected. I get that. And you want to be paid. And when you see guys like Dak Prescott and, and other guys that, that are not as good as Aaron Rodgers making more money, I believe what he's what the sixth or seventh highest paid quarterback in the league. I understand where that goes. But, I mean, the bottom line is we're not hearing anything from Rodgers. We heard the rhetoric from his own mouth last year after they drafted Jordan Love. He wasn't happy about that. And he said, okay, I'm going to go to Green Bay, and I guess I'm going to have to show them. And uh, you know, now we're hearing that, okay, he wanted to have a trade. Packers said, no, uh, we're, we're not going to trade you. Definitely not going to trade you, you know, within uh, the NFC. Uh, but they, they, don't, they hold all the cards here. And as you know, because of that 2020 collective bargaining agreement now, I mean, he's going to get fined $50,000 for every day he misses, and those funds cannot be recouped anymore. Okay. You know, before they could say, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll waive all these fees and all this sort of thing. That's not even an option now. I mean, because the collective bargaining agreement, it says you're, you're basically going to be stuck. And also, it doesn't uh, accrue a season uh, for him to move any closer to free agency. So he has no choice here. He holds none of the cards. And why would the Packers trade him? Because they couldn't get equal value as well. So, yeah, I think it's pretty ludicrous to, for people to even put these lists together and thinking that, hey, he may have a choice to go somewhere. He has zero choice. I think you're right. But how, how badly did the Green Bay Packers organization mismanage this? I mean, over the last couple of years, they have a future Hall of Fame quarterback, locked first ballot, guy that is MVP caliber still, as he proved, last season and they're thinking about the future down the road look at what the Buccaneers did with Brady they sold out to bring guys in to help Brady win right now and he won the Super Bowl and then they brought those guys all back they're not looking for the future although they did draft um what was I think in the second round um Kyle Pitts second or third anyway out of Florida to be kind of the heir apparent to Brady possibly and I think that's fine but that's not a first round draft choice and I think that they are building around your future Hall of Fame quarterback, Tom Brady, to win right now, right this minute. And so what did the Packers do last year? They move up. They give up draft capital, I believe, right? And they draft Jordan Love quarterback out of Utah State as the future, as the heir apparent. And that means that the clock on Aaron Rodgers' career in Green Bay is not defined by his ability physically to continue to defy age and play well. The clock on his career in Green Bay is the clock that's ticking on Jordan Love's rookie contract. And I could see, first of all, that why Aaron Rodgers would be upset about that. The second thing I would be upset about is, going back to what Tampa did to build everything around Brady to win right now, instead of thinking too much about the future, they could have drafted a receiver. They could have drafted somebody that could have helped Aaron Rodgers 
right now. Instead, they took a guy that's not going to help right now, Jordan Love. This year, what do they do? They draft Eric Stokes, a defensive back. Matter of fact, they only in the first round, they only drafted one receiver in the entire draft, and that was Amari Rodgers in the third round. And he's a very good pick. But the thing is, just a few picks after, uh, after the Packers chose at the end of the first round, early in the second round, Elijah Moore, wide receiver out of Ole Miss, was taken by the New York Jets with the 34th pick. Elijah Moore would have been a fantastic weapon for Aaron Rodgers. And the thing is, I know they have to build the defense. I know they've got to build a team around him. It's not just the quarterback. But the best thing about that team, the most dominant feature of the Green Bay Packers is their future Hall of Fame quarterback. And to surround him with more weapons from last year's first round and this year's first round would have been the way to maximize their greatest advantage instead of trying to shore up maybe some disadvantages and then look to the future, right? And if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm looking at that philosophy and thinking, whoa, wait a minute, what am I, chopped liver? I've got a couple of great Hall of Fame caliber years left, and you're thinking about preparing for when I'm gone, right? And if I'm Rodgers, I'm upset about that, and I understand him being upset about that. You know, which I will say this, though. With the Packers, I think that gets a little overblown because the Packers actually like the, their team. They like their offense. I mean, you know, Tanyan was a great tight end, and no one saw that thing coming. But they've got some guys that are pretty undersung or undervalued guys, like Valdez Scanling, and, of course, they got Devontae Adams. So I think their wide receiver core is not as bad. They don't have the, the big-time names. Of course, you don't have an Antonio Brown. They're not going to pay a whole bunch of money to get guys like that. But look what they've done the last two years. They've done nothing but won uh, and went to the NFC Championship game with you know, Rodgers having a great season last year and having those receivers in the tight end having some pretty good years. I mean, could they have another running back? I mean, they still had, you know, Aaron Jones, They you know, going back last year. They they were pretty good offensively. And, of course, Devontae Adams, you can make the argument, like Rodgers has said and, and, and LaFleur has said, I think he's the best wide receiver in the game. So I don't think the Packers are that void of talent on the on the offensive side of the ball like a lot of people are saying. Yeah, can I throw out, though, maybe a competing point of view? Sure. If you look at the receptions last year from the Packers, Devontae Adams had 115 catches. That's more than all the other wide receivers on the Packers roster combined. Now you're throwing in tight ends, running backs, et cetera, that are making up the difference. But you know, in terms of you know the second-leading uh, receiver, with 52 catches is a tight end. The third leading receiver with 47 catches is a running back. You know, then you've got a wide receiver, you know, and then you keep on going down. So it's just, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm Rogers, I'm thinking, yeah, great. I, I'm glad to have running backs and tight ends to throw to, but maybe the reason that he's throwing the ball to running backs and tight ends so much is that he only has one wide receiver that he really trusts to that degree. I know Lazard has done some really good things, right. But at the same time, you know, they could add more skill on the perimeter. And, you know, you make a good point, TC. You make a really good point. I think a lot of people will agree with you. I'm just thinking if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm probably looking at it in a different way. Sure, sure. It is interesting, too, though, when you think about it, because Aaron Rodgers was the other quarterback when he first came into the league behind a guy who's a Hall of Fame quarterback who had won a Super Bowl. So you have that aspect of it. And I know I'm sure he'd love to get another wide receiver or a tight end or something like that to help him out. 
But also, isn't it the Packers' job to try to make the team as good as possible? I mean, to say a backup quarterback isn't important, that's not true. Aaron Rodgers is 38 years old. He's about to embark on a 17-game season, which he's never done before. He plays up in Lambeau where weather can get bad and you can pull muscles or something else. We've seen him kind of hobbled around in other seasons. Last year, he had a great season, but shoring up a backup quarterback position that can win valuable games in a part of a season as well you know we talked about it in the first segment here today Trevor Terry Bradshaw just came out and basically said I never worried about the other guys they drafted I figured if they can help fine but I'm worried about what I'm doing on the field when did trying to make it strength and getting competition on a field become a negative where somebody's gonna be basically crying and saying I want to leave now because of it yeah, I think Terry Bradshaw had Lynn Swan and John Stoller, right? Yeah. Um, oh, he had a lot of weapons. He had Rocky Blyer and Franco Franco Harris. Harris. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good receiver. The, uh, but you're right about that. And I'm trying. You're, you're totally right about that. That you've got to build up the rest of the team as well. It can't just be the quarterback. But I do think that the philosophy needs to be win now. Right now, I'm just looking at the Packers depth chart. And I don't see a third quarterback on the depth chart. I'm just seeing Jordan Love and everything. Well, well no, guy. because the, the guy who's actually the second string guy, he just signed a free agent deal with the Lions because Love right. was the and third guy last year, so, so they don't have that. But how about this part, too? How did Aaron Rodgers come in the league? He came in the league as the heir apparent to Brett Favre. Brett wasn't too happy about that. And then Aaron had to sit for three seasons. And just like Jordan Love, so it's, it's ironic that this guy is bitching, and this is the way that he got in the league. And let's be honest, Aaron Rodgers was not going to be ready to take over the Green Bay Packers or any team he went to when he came out of Cal. Uh, it, it wouldn't have gone well for him. I can guarantee you that. And then he needed that time. And we're starting to see this, I think, a little bit more where the NFL would like to get back to that. And we're hearing today, like, okay, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the guy in San Francisco, it sounds like. And he's going to go ahead and mentor, you know, you know, Trey Lance. And Kyle Shanahan now, we're hearing that he and Garoppolo had been talking this whole time about, hey, this is what we're going to do here. So there's nothing wrong with that. And, and wouldn't you agree, Trevor, we don't want to have another Mitchell Trubisky situation or some of these guys, you know, getting thrown in the fire right away. That could be disaster. Sure, but if you're looking to win now, though, that's the thing. You're yeah. looking to win now, and you're talking about first-round draft capital. In terms of the way that Rodgers came into the league and sat behind Brett Favre and then kind of forced him out and Favre kind of bounced around a bit and Favre was unhappy about that, I get that. Everybody except Aaron Rodgers sees the irony of this situation. However, can I offer an analogy? Absolutely. Let's say that there's a happily married couple, and here comes a homewrecker who steals one of the spouses. I don't want to, like, pick on a gender and say this one gender is a homewrecker and the other one is not. Who steals and has an affair with one of the spouses and ends up causing a divorce and marrying that spouse, right? They're not going to say when, that, when their new spouse has an affair on them, they're not going to say, well, gee, it's okay because that's how I got with them. No way, man. That's not the way you see it. That's the way other people see it, but that's not the way you see it. And so I'm just trying to look at this from Aaron Rodgers' perspective here. I, I, I just, you know, I, if I'm him, I'm pretty mad. That's all. Right. I understand. Trevor Madge joins us, ESPN College football guru and also the NFL side with the Washington football team. All right. Uh, how, how about some trivia? 
You want to play a little trivia, Trevor? A little Jeopardy? Whatever. Sure. Here we go. Speaking of quarterbacks. Oh, right. Aaron Rodgers, and now you're going into Jeopardy. Yeah, you like what a coincidence. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, hey, just the third time that the top three picks in the draft were quarterbacks. Do you know when that last happened, Trevor? Two times. I can even give you the years if you want to cheat a little bit. Okay. 1971, well, the top three quarterbacks. The top three picks were all quarterbacks in 1971 and in 1999. Name them. Okay, 1971. Of course, I wasn't. I wasn't anywhere near. Yeah. <laughs> born then, right? Yeah. But I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking Jim Plunkett was probably one of them um, in '71. Um, I can't think of the other two in '71. All right, Frank. I don't know. Then Archie Manning. Archie, yeah. And Great Dan, quarterback. Archie always played for bad time. Yeah. And bad Dan teams. Pastorini. Wait, Dan Pastorini was a, a top fuel drag racer. Yeah. He played quarterback? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I'm Dan kidding. Pastorini. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. I thought and, Dan, and what was the other year? Uh, I, not, oh, I hate that song. I, I hate that song. I know you That's also the Miami Dolphins song. Miami Dolphins number one. How, how can it be? Score, they, 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 can't, that song. they can't do that. They can't have two teams have that. Sure, song. they can because Houston Oilers don't exist anymore. And I thought Dan Pastorini was the guy with the million dollar lock of the century in the USA Today years ago. No, I think you're talking about Danny Sheridan. <laughs> no, no, Dan Pastorini used to do a big pick every year. <laughs> did he? Yes, he did. You're yes, right. he yeah, did. Yeah. I know yeah. he did. That's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there you go, Trevor. <laughs> There you go. No, please don't. Oh, no. I'm going to have to call my psychiatrist. I don't even have a psychiatrist. I'm going to have to get a psychiatrist. We need the record scratch right now, Numbchuck. Trevor Match does not want to hear that. He doesn't want to have these visions of Earl Campbell anymore. Listen, I got knocked out of the playoffs one year by Warren Moon and the Houston Oilers. Yeah. And going down to play Miami every year when they would play that song, oh, they'd score a touchdown. I just, it's like if you have a good song, play the good song. Right. Right. That song is almost intended to offend the senses of everybody except the most diehard fans. And, and it does. Billy White Shoes Johnson. My man. <laughs> Love Billy White go. Shoes Johnson. Okay, so what was the other year, though? 1999. Year? Go. Without Googling it. Go ahead. 1999. Okay. Top three picks. Is all that quarterbacks. the year that, that Achilles Smith and Tim Couch were kind of joined at the hip? There there's you, always two quarterbacks two, joined at the hip. You're two Ryan for Leaf two. And two for Peyton two. Manning. And those are the okay, two. Ha- I, I am, they were the two ham okay. and eggers out of the bunch, and, and the other one was pretty good. Okay, I, I, I don't have any earthly idea who the other one would be. The pride of Syracuse. Well, McNabb was 99? No. Was he taking number two? Was, yeah, was Donovan McNabb. Yeah, yes, yes. Tim Couch, number one. Donovan McNabb, number two. Achilles Smith from Oregon, number three. We know wow. how that turned out for Couch and McNabb, or rather, uh, oh, boy. Couch and Achilles Smith. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, but McNabb, boy, he, you know, he had a career at Philly, Washington, not so much, but right. during those years, nobody did. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Uh, Trey Lance, by the way, the Niners uh, take him. He's thrown 318 passes, uh, Trevor. I know you liked him out of North Dakota State, even though he played one game this year, a total what of 16. Uh, the fewest passes thrown by a quarterback taken in the first round in the history of the NFL draft. That stat blows me away. Fewest of any quarterback taken in the first round. 318 mm-hmm. passes. That's a wow. 
Well, you wanted to take him back to Fargo? Is that what you're asking? Uh, I want to take him back to Fargo. Oh, yeah. That's what I like to do there. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. that's my. Uh, is that your accomplice in the wood chipper over there? That's the thing. I saw that. I saw that movie, Fargo, and that wood chipper still keeps me up at night. <laughs> Exactly. For those of you who didn't see the movie, I won't. Uh, um, I won't say exactly what happened, but I think you can imagine that it yeah. wasn't pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Raiders. No. The Raiders draft. What do you think Raiders about the Raiders draft? draft? Now, again, you're an offensive uh, lineman, offensive tackle, Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. Where did you have him on your big board, Trevor? So talk about the Raiders' first round pick. I had him as a second round pick. Uh, the reason is that he, he's very versatile. Uh, he's very effective. He's very productive, but he gets behind pass rushers on the edge where he chases them and has to push them. And in college, you can get away with that. In the NFL, those guys are going to turn that corner. That's a problem. Also, I saw, you know, I saw him play with uh, really good toughness, but I didn't see an elite level of fierceness, which is a little bit different. And maybe that's splitting hairs, but I know that John Gruden loves the fierceness. But he also loves players that have been productive for a long time. And so I don't think he will be uh, a tackle in the NFL. I think he'll probably be a guard with some ability to give depth at tackle, especially right tackle. Um, I I don't think that I would have taken him where the Raiders took him, but I think they can coach him into being a productive player. So I don't think he's going to be a bust either. I don't think his ceiling is tremendously high, but he's got a high floor. He's got a very good chance to be a good player. Mike Mayock is saying he's going to put him at tackle. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Good luck. I know, right? Hey, hey yeah. how, how did he win the Outland Trophy? I mean, I think that kind of surprised some people. For a guy that wasn't, uh, you know, maybe in the top eight or nine of his position, how did he win the Outland? Just being in Alabama and, and Mac Jones and the rest of those superstars were so great? I mean, you're the, well, you're the guy in the trenches, man. You know, I just yeah. – uh, to me, when I hear that, that he was the eighth or ninth or tenth best tackle – but he's the Outland Trophy winner? Hmm. Just makes That's me curious. Okay, yeah, I mean, because this is the college level, and they're projecting to the NFL level. So, okay. so we start there. The thing is, though, you're, you're, you're on the Joe Moore winning offensive line. Joe Moore award to the best offensive line in college football. You know, they are national champions. They have a devastating rushing attack. They are protecting an, an elite quarterback who's kind of stationary. He's a, he's a pocket quarterback, and he is the left tackle protecting that blind side. And so I, I can see where he would be at the top of a lot of people's minds. I think Landon Dickerson, the center, would be a guy that I would have you know, chosen for the Outland uh, over Leatherwood. But I think that you know, it makes sense that people were looking at him. And the thing is, he has a chance to be a very, very good player. You know, I just don't, don't see the elite level of talent. You know, Panay Sewell at the top of the draft you know, um, was the first tackle taken, and he, he is an elite talent. Leatherwood is not in that range. He's not in that tier. Um, he's at the bottom of the next tier, I think. But that doesn't mean he can't be effective. And that's what the Raiders need right now. They need a guy who's had a lot of production, a lot of success, who can play several different positions if you need him to, and who can be uh, you know, a guy that you can count on and rely on for a long time. And I think that the, he brings them that with the potential of more upside. I know a lot of people have talked about, um, you know, the Bears getting Justin Fields in the first round as being a surprise. Was there anything in the draft that re- that you found is kind of a surprise? And what team overall do you think potentially maybe did have the best draft? Well, the thing that surprised me the most in terms of an individual pick is Greg Rousseau, pass rusher out of the University of Miami, going to Buffalo at the end of the first round. 
That astonished me. He opted out last year. But in 2019, he was second in college football in sacks, only to Chase Young of Ohio State, who went on to be the second pick of the draft to Washington and tore up the NFL his rookie year. So you think, okay, well, this guy was number two. He must be great. No. He is 6'7", big and tall and lanky. Um, but most of his sacks, or a lot of them, came when he was inside over the center. And a lot of those happened because guys messed up assignments. He'd loop wide and somebody would slide too far and he'd be free. When he was on the edge, he had a lot of sacks that were coverage sacks or where the quarterback was flushed into him by somebody else. But he's not particularly dynamic or explosive off the edge. And, um, and inside, he's not going to play a lot. So I think he's way, way too much of a project for a guy that's six seven. You know, tall, skinny, lanky, not that explosive off the edge. I just don't know why they took him in the first round. But the draft I like the best, my goodness, is the New York Jets. I love the Jets draft. They got some offensive playmakers that should really develop into nice players. Um, You know, Elijah Moore, wide receiver out of Ole Miss, is a sub-4-4 guy who is equally good going deep as he is in the slot. Michael Carter, running back out of North Carolina, is equally good running explosive plays on the ground and catching the ball for explosive plays as a receiver out of the backfield. I mean, these guys are good. Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC is going to be a really good guard with some tackle upside. Zach Wilson, I think, with the second pick of the draft, quarterback out of BYU, if you need a quarterback, he's a good guy. I mean, he's perfectly appropriate for that pick. But if I'm a Jets fan, I am wondering what if. What if they drafted all these playmakers and Vera Tucker to help protect the quarterback and they still had Sam Darnold and they used that second pick of the draft on Kyle Pitts tight end out of Florida. Now what you have is Kyle Pitts and all these other guys and Sam Darnold, or you've got no Kyle Pitts, no Sam Darnold, but Zach Wilson. Here's my Again, I'm not denigrating Zach Wilson. But I'm saying that before the draft and before we knew Wilson would be there, I thought that the Jets would make a mistake if they got rid of him, and it turns out that they did. I think Darnold had nothing to work with. He handled all the the challenges as professionally as you can imagine. And I think with some weapons around him, he would flourish. But they're not going to give him that chance. And so they've got a quarterback that can flourish, Zach Wilson, and no Kyle Pitts. But other than that, I would say that with Wilson in this draft, this is a really good offensive foundation for the Jets going forward. Here's the big question, though, Trevor. Is, uh, do you think Elijah Moore is going to go ahead and lift up his leg uh, at the back of the end zone and uh, act like he, a dog is, uh, is peeing after a touchdown catch? Yeah, I think that's one of those things where you touch a hot stove, <laughs> right? The first time you do it, you might think it's cool. Right. Uh, you don't do it a second time. Yeah, he did that in the, in the Egg Bowl. Right, with, two uh, years ago. He caught yeah, that. against Mississippi State. Right. And what happened was, it was he scored the touchdown oh. um, that would have tied the game, right? And so uh, they have to kick an extra point at the end of the game to send it to overtime, or maybe go for two. So he does that. It's a 15-yard penalty. They move the extra point back, right. and they miss the extra point. There it was. They lost the game because of Elijah Moore. I always and I'll that. tell you what. And that's what that guy's signature is to me. Guy. Yeah, right? He, he will always be that guy. And I think there's, a, there's an object lesson there. Don't be that guy. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, with social media, um, Herm Edwards, who's now the head coach at Arizona State, he talks to NFL rookies, and he always tells them with social media, if you're not sure, don't press send. Don't press send. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he wasn't there to tell Elijah Moore, if you're unsure, 
don't lift your leg like a dog. <laughs> yeah, so, so I don't know that you need that said to you, but clearly he did. So in this case, more was less. Yes. <laughs> oh, there you go. Now, now as we're ripping him up, uh, by all accounts, he came back last year and fully atoned for that. Okay. You know, and he was a good character player and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I'd hate to be judged by my worst day, as he will for the rest of his career. I know. Okay, uh, let's finish up the Raiders draft here. So, Gus Bradley finally got some guys on, on the defensive side of the ball. You know, Mike Mayock, John Gruden, they said, hey, we're, we're going to go offense. They went Leatherwood that first day. Didn't get any shiny new toys, no wide receivers that Gruden likes. But they got their guys for the defensive side of the ball. What are your thoughts about uh, round two, pick 43, uh, when the Raiders moved up to get Trayvon Morig from uh, the safety from TCU. Then they got a linebacker from Buffalo and Malcolm Kuntz. Uh, any other thoughts? And then they got uh, a divine uh, Debulo from uh, Virginia Tech, the safety in round number three. Any thoughts about the Raiders draft on uh, days yeah. uh, two and three? Absolutely love this. Love what they've done. They need numbers, and they need guys that can run. They need guys that can do stuff, right? Um, when I say do stuff, I mean something that they can excel at that they can game plan around. And so Trayvon Merrick, I think, is – a really good safety prospect. I thought he would go in the first round, actually, late part of the first round. He is really good at coverage. He's very good at diagnosing plays. TCU and Coach Gary Patterson, they put a lot on their safeties in terms of recognition, in terms of playmaking, and in terms of leadership to get everybody all lined up in the right spot. So he'll step into the NFL with a base of having to learn a lot, I mean a lot, every single week. Now he goes to the graduate level in the NFL, but he's a safety who can cover and who can hit and who can make plays on the ball. He's a very good pick. I think Malcolm Coons coming out of Buffalo, uh, he is another guy that they can use in situ- situations while they develop him. I don't know that he'll be able to set the edge that well. His NFL strength isn't up to speed right now. He'll need a year or two in an NFL weight room to really become the run blocker they want him to be. But as a pass rusher, he's got great explosiveness and great potential to continue to develop. And they can just put him out there on third down and point him at the quarterback and tell him to go. I really like that pick. Divine, and is it Diablo or Diablo? How do you say his last name? Uh, I, I, thought it was, I thought it was Diablo. I want it to be Diablo. Yeah, is what a name, Divine Diablo. Yeah, we'll go with that. And there it is. That's wonderful. <laughs> he's, he's wonderful, too. He's a safety out of Virginia Tech. The thing about this guy is that he's 6'3", 226. That hybrid defender that you need to go against hybrid receivers. Those big, fast Kyle Pitts-style tight ends, right? Um, or, excuse me, the smaller, faster Kyle Pitts-style tight ends, or the bigger wide receivers that aren't the 4-4 guys, but that win by jumping up in the air and winning the ball, 50-50 ball. This guy, we'll call him Diablo, and I apologize if I'm saying that incorrectly. Um, I will learn what that is. Um, he is, with his length and with his speed and with some pretty fluid hits, He's a guy that can fit that role. I really like the pick. So I really like the, the depth that they developed later on in the draft with guys that can run and that can do stuff that have specific skills that the Raiders can game plan for. And then they really stacked them up because after Diablo, they picked a safety and then a corner, and then, of course, they finished with the center at the end of it. But they, they got guys that can run. Merrig, Kuntz. Diablo is safety, Gillespie is safety, Nate Hobbs out of Illinois, a corner. They upgraded their speed and their ability, especially in that mid-level of hybrid NFL offensive players, for them to match up. I really liked it. 
You know, it's interesting, too, because a lot of people think that the Raiders maybe got who they wanted to in the first two rounds, maybe just the flip-flop of order, that maybe the safety from TCU would have been the first-round pick and Leatherwood would have been the second. But I want to ask you real quick, too, about because TC and I uh, talked about this after the draft. Of the five quarterbacks taken in the first round, how many start on day one of the NFL season? How many quarterbacks of the top five will start on the first season? I think... I don't think that Trey Lance will start in San Francisco just because of what you guys mentioned, the limited um, experience that he had in North Dakota State. Also, he has the um, – he's got to work on his NFL accuracy. He threw a lot of balls in North Dakota State that were at a receiver, and he had such a strong arm he could fire it in there, and an FCS defensive back wasn't able to do anything about it. Some of those in the NFL would have been picked off, quite a few of them actually. Uh, and so he'll need to work on his NFL accuracy. I'm not saying that he's inaccurate, but I'm saying these are things he'll need to tighten up before he's really ready to go. Uh, I think Zach Wilson, of course, is going to start. Trevor Lawrence, of course, is going to start. Justin Fields will start. The reason Justin Fields will start is that he has to. I mean, in, if, if he doesn't pan out in the first two years, then coaching staff and front office is fired. That's it. They're going to they're replace it. So Fields, they've got to put in there now while he's got a honeymoon to learn stuff. And, and the thing is, he's such a dynamic runner that they'll be able to put him in there and have him go to plan B quickly if he doesn't recognize what he sees, and that's just take off. Uh, Matt Jones at Alabama, I think Cam Newton is going to have a better year this year than people think. Last year, his overall numbers weren't great, but they were night and day different between the first half and the second half of the year. And I think with a full off season of work, um, you know, rather than being all messed up by COVID, I think Cam is going to come back and surprise people. So Matt Jones won't have to start, so I don't think he will. And Kyle Trask, that might, might be my favorite pick um, of, of the quarterbacks because he came, you know, the first pick of the second round to Tampa, and he's going to be able to sit there as long as Brady wants to play and learn from a guy that plays with the same physical traits that Trask has. So I think that's going to be fun. I, I agree with you. I think, you know, the top two definitely start uh, opening day. Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and the fields is interesting because I I agree with you in the sense where you know he because of the type of quarterback he is with that running style the athleticism where everybody wants to go now it it makes sense but again Andy Dalton's got a ton of experience but it's still stuck in my mind the last time that we saw Andy Dalton on the field for Dallas I think I think the game was against the Giants where he got sacked six times. Yeah, he, he wasn't good, but the Man. Bears did give him a pretty good paycheck. Yeah, they did. And so that's the thing. And it's like, okay, is Fields going to be ready? And when you're especially Trevor, when you're coming off the heels of Mitchell Trubisky, kind of doing him a disservice by throwing him in there right away, you know, do the Bears take a little different approach, saying, Okay, let's let's let this guy learn a little bit. But you know, Dalton, and you know this better than anybody, Trevor, Dalton and Fields, they seem total opposites on what their skill set is. They do. I just look at it from this standpoint that if the Bears coaching staff thought that Dalton was going to allow them to keep their jobs, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have drafted Justin Fields. So I think that they think Fields is what's going to save their job. Right. And if the only reason that he wouldn't start, I think, is if, if he's not picking up the offense fast enough. I mean, they should be smart enough. I know, I know Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco – is this at the highest level. The Bear staff should be smart enough to not require of Justin Fields that he learn what they want him to do. They need to learn what he can do and devise the offense about, around those things, eight or ten things or whatever it is that he can do, and then little by little give him more and more. 
Now, defenses will start to figure that stuff out, but he does have the advantage. And if he drops back and looks at his first option and it's not there, and then he looks at the second option and the coverage is different from what he thought, well, he can bug out, man. He, he's he got the, the hip strength and core strength of an explosive running back. I mean, he can stick a foot in the ground and take off in a different direction or be at full speed in two steps, like like outstanding running backs. And that gives him a little bit more time to – to assimilate what he needs to know in order to uh, do to execute enough of the playbook to not get himself in trouble. Uh, but I just go back to why do why do coaches do what they do? They do what they do ultimately to save their job. And I'll tell you this: the, the Bears don't have a new coaching staff. But when a new coaching staff comes in uh, to a team and they have their first team meeting and they're looking at the guys, they say all the right things. But here's what that coaching staff is actually thinking: that head coach in his first team meeting at his new place. He's looking at that team, and he's thinking, you guys got the last coach fired. You're not going to get me fired. And I'm going to replace you as soon as I can with guys that I trust, because I don't know you guys, right? And so it's the same kind of thing, I think, with the quarterback room right now with the Bears. I think Trubisky, his biggest problem was very much like Trey Lance. He came out of North Carolina without having – uh, much experience at all, one year as a starter. But at North Carolina, he did great when he was on a roll. But when he was playing better defenses and got hit in the mouth a few times, he disappeared. But I'm not saying that he, he was soft or anything. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying in some of the biggest games, he wasn't there. He just wasn't there. He wasn't doing anything. And when the Bears moved up to draft him, I was a little worried that, you know, they haven't seen him either get hit in the mouth, rise up, and elevate his team. You know, when because he just didn't do it in college. So, um, you know, and it turns out with the Bears, he didn't do it either. Trevor Maddich, ESPN, we appreciate you, brother, as always. Fantastic stuff. Great analysis. A little downtime for you now? A little, little vacation for, for a couple months? Or is it uh, nope, springtime? Uh, it's doing... time for you to get out on the road, right? Well, yeah, well, actually, yeah, except COVID. Oh, that, that, COVID. COVID's still happening? It's not at halftime? Uh, no? Still, yeah, well, yeah. the thing is, in order for you to get on the road, I, I would be like a, a bee pollinating a field of flowers. <laughs> I go to one school, then I go to the next, then the next, then the next. And what sure. if I became patient zero yeah. and I infected, you know, the entire Big 12? Right, that that wouldn't be a good thing. You can't do it, Trevor. You you've got to go on an island somewhere, and you and Dana just just relax, have some tall, some tall, girly, fruity drinks on the beach. Trevor Maddich with the shirt off, blinding people with the shades on, and taking his M and M's on the sand and diagramming plays for the fall. So Mr. Amaretto Sour is calling somebody else for his girly drinks. Yes. Okay. No, no. Okay. No, listen, my wife. My wife went into a smoothie place and invented a new drink that is now hers, and people are ordering it. It's called the Dana Colada. Ooh. Very nice. There you go. Very nice. We are set. There it is. See, Trevor and I know. We spent some time at uh, at the bars. There we go. Socialize. Yeah, only one of us drinks, so I had to watch you, man. I was your designated driver yeah. and your designated keep TC out of terrible trouble. That's, you and I both uh, don't really uh, drink that much, so very nice. I know, I know. I'm All sure. right, brother. Hey, man, be good. We'll talk to you very, very, very soon. Thanks, TC. There is Trevor Maddich, the guru of college football and the NFL, for that matter, as well, too. All right, we come back. V G. Hey everyone, this is Carnell, a.k.a. Golden Pipes, and I want to welcome you back to the T.C. Martin Show.
All right, Vegas Golden Knights. Last night, Minnesota Wild in Minneapolis. Big game last night. Did not go so well for the Golden Knights. They led 5-3 to three in the third period. And I don't know about you, Frank, uh, watching this game and plenty of fireworks. Goal after goal after goals. Okay, Knights looking pretty good control here. But in the back of my mind, I was saying, you know, like we've talked about before so many times, the Wild, kind of like the Knights kryptonite. Just You just don't know what's going to happen here. So the Knights that had the lead, 4-3, added one to make it 5-3. And then all of a sudden, uh, here come the Minnesota Wild, cut the lead to 5-4 in the third period. And then it was time to uh, pull the goalie. And uh, with a minute 32 to go, thought the Golden Knights were going to hang on. And then we had this. Oh, he's looking at Cam Talbot, and that's Dean Evison. He'll be looking for hand signals. There it is. There's the signal. Talbot has to hold his ground. Fiala fires. Save rebound. They score! The thrill does it again! And we're even 5-5! Five, 5-5 five. Five to five with 132 to go. And all of a sudden, okay, this thing is getting tight, but they'll still hang on here. Well, at that point, I didn't think they would hang on. I mean, I thought it was probably going to go to overtime. Minnesota with a comeback. Minnesota just did this to St. Louis in some games. I mean, they had a couple goal lead. I mean, they've been the comeback kids of late. They've been playing very well. They feel they're never out of a game. Cam Talbot has not been great for them of late. He's been giving up goals, but their offense has come up and, and played big. I thought Talbot was kind of bad last night, but I thought it was the worst game I've seen Robin Leonard maybe play for the Vegas Golden Knights Mm. since he joined this team. The first goal was bad. The second goal was terrible. And I know he said after the game that he had to make some saves, but uh, yeah, not a great game. And again, good goalies have bad games as well, but neither team could have been happy with their goaltending last night. Like like you. When it's 5-5, it's okay. This thing is is destined uh, to go to overtime, possibly a shootout, but uh, the Wild weren't done. It started from game one. Greenway back of the net. Tied to center. Greenway again, and Felino had left the slot. Brodina shot. He scores! Unbelievable! It's 6-5 Minnesota. So the Wild go ahead and get the game winner with, what, 39 seconds left to go. That was it. Unbelievable. Three unanswered goals. Not a great performance by the Knights. And uh, you kind of already took the words out of my mouth. Uh, Blame Robin Leonard? I say yes. No, Robin Leonard definitely did not have a good game. Uh, They had opportunities. If you remember in the second period, towards the end of that period, uh, he made one save but left a wide-open rebound. The puck's sitting right in the crease. If Janmark doesn't come down and knock that puck out, it would have been 5-4 before that point because they were right on the doors up. He made a beautiful play to give them the two-goal lead going into the third. Then the third came, and you thought, okay, well, Vegas has been great in the third period. They're going to hold on to this thing. But again, I didn't think that Leonard was playing with a lot of confidence. Minnesota, they didn't even get a lot of shots off in the second period. They didn't have a ton in the third either, but then they cranked it up a little bit, and they're playing with a lot of confidence right now. Uh, You know, I would call this a house of cards game for the Golden Knights. They collapsed like a house of cards. It's very rare. I think it's only the second time it's ever been done. For whatever reason, Minnesota has this team's number up to this point. Vegas has only won once there, remember, in Minnesota. 
You figured last night they're going to get that second one. This game tomorrow night now becomes really huge because Colorado, if they win and Vegas loses to Minnesota tomorrow, Colorado's tied with Vegas right. for the lead with still a game in hand. Now I know these two teams play each other again, but Minnesota would also only be two points behind then. It's getting real tight at the top. Here just uh, you know, a few days ago, it, this was a, a six-point lead for the Golden Knights after you know they – they defeated Colorado here at T-Mobile Arena, and we've always talked about, for some reason, the Minnesota Wild. I mean, they are that, that, that gutsy team that gives the Golden Knights problems. And then when the Golden Knights went to Arizona, basically it didn't show up. They're getting, what, shut out 3 nothing. 3 nothing in that first game yeah. against Leonard. And, right. and, then, and then they almost blew that second game. Right. And Marc-Andre Fleur was good. Then Marsha Show, when he got that penalty at the end of the game, I know he had the game-winning goal, and everybody's talking about that. The penalty he committed towards the end of that game, the slashing penalty, after Arizona had tied it up 2-2, two to two, it, you just can't have that. And Marsha is a great player, and he plays with a lot of emotion. You've got to play smarter than that. And remember this, too. Vegas almost got a gift goal last night when they, you know, when, when they got the goal in the Minnesota process for goaltender interference, Vegas got the power play, and they capitalized and got that right away. So they almost got a goal that, and I was wondering why Minnesota made that challenge. But even with a bad coach's decision, they still found a way to come back and win the game. It's not a good mental matchup. I don't think Vegas goes into these games thinking we can't beat this team because I think they think they can beat anybody out there. But when Minnesota's in that locker room, I get the feeling that they think it doesn't matter what the score is right now. We can beat this team. Minnesota feels they have Vegas' number. Vegas last night should have won. I think Vegas is going to come out like a house of fire tomorrow night. But I still don't know if it's going to be enough in Minnesota yeah. to win. Yeah, I agree. They may come out of the house fire, but can they hang on? I mean, again, and, and, and Fleury's going to play better than Robin right. Leonard did. But again, they also took the advantage. Cam Talbot, who's actually been very solid for them this year, had one of his worst games. Right. And they didn't take advantage of it. They let two points slip away. For sure, one point slip away. Yeah, three unanswered goals uh, by the the Wild in the final uh, you know ten minutes of that game last night. We talk about you know the Wild feel very confident against the Golden Knights. We know Colorado feels that way, too, even though the Knights have won, what, four out of the seven games. But what four of these games have been, uh, you know, one-goal games. Yeah, yeah, Colorado yeah. And, and Vegas yes. are – and, and it's funny, too, because Minnesota owns Vegas. Mm-hmm. Vegas and Colorado are very close. Yeah. But um, Colorado owns Minnesota. Yeah. You know? And, and I was going to throw this in as well, too, for some reason, too. It seems like the Coyotes – play Vegas pretty pretty well, too. They, they, they play them kind you of know? tough, but I still yeah. don't see the Coyotes making the playoffs. No, no. St. Louis, Louis is the better yeah. team, and St. Louis is playing playoff hockey right now. St. Louis is on a roll, and they That's have where talent, I was go too, and they yeah. just won yeah. a Stanley Cup not that long ago. Correct. I, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things. People out here are already talking about the parade route and everything else for the Vegas Golden Knights Stanley Cup. I'm not saying they can't win the Stanley Cup, because they certainly can. Mm-hmm. They could also get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. This goes back to that debate. Leonard Flurry again, here we go. And Flurry has looked better than Leonard. And like I said, Leonard looked very, very shaky last night. Very shaky. I think the Golden Knights will respond tomorrow. They're still in Minnesota. They have to have this game tomorrow night. Flurry between the pipes. I think it would be great betting value uh, for the Golden Knights as well, too, to get on them. We're going to take a shot with that. But uh, again, do you think that Flurry? Is the better goalie right now, and maybe if we're gonna do a, a instead of one and one a, we're gonna do a one and two. Flurry's got to be the one. 
Robin Leonard's been very solid all year, but I think Mark Andre Fleury has proven that he's the better goalie this yeah. year. Even when Leonard was out, he's the one that's carried this team. And it's not coincidental that Fleury has played every game against Colorado. And outside of uh, last night's game, and I think maybe one other, he's played the majority of games. And of course, he's going to play tomorrow night against Minnesota. Fleury's actually also played against the better teams in the division for the most part. Mm-hmm. So Mark Andre Fleury's there. I don't know what Pete DeBoer is going to do. I would be surprised if they go with a rotation in the playoffs. It just hasn't been successful in the history of the NHL. Doesn't mean Pete DeBoer's not going to do it, but remember, again, coaches tend to have their tendencies of what they do. They're doing the rotation in the regular season. Pete DeBoer played Martin Jones in the playoffs in San Jose, and he's not a good goaltender. If you're going to go with a guy that's not a good goaltender and keep on playing him game after game, if you think one's better than the other... How do you not do that here? Last year, I think he thought Leonard was a better goalie. Has Fleury done enough to convince him that he should be the starter? Only Pete DeBoer knows that, and I don't know if he's 100% convinced last night, but I do know Robin Leonard probably didn't help himself in getting that starting position come playoff time after last night's yeah, performance. No, that but is, it's only one game. Right, but, you know, again, we've seen a couple games from Leonard like this. And again, well, yeah, and the 3-0 shutoff, yeah. so he's lost his and, last and, two and now. And even when we were screaming, you know, fans were screaming for Flurry last year, uh, we, we added up last year. I mean, again, Leonard started more than 80% of those playoff games. And did not end well. So, in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking he thinks, hey, Leonard is his number one. Right. And, and so. again, let, let me throw this in real quick, too. The goaltending didn't cost the Vegas Golden Knights last year. Right. Their offense disappeared. Correct. And their power play Correct. was non existent. The goalkeeping cost them the game last night. A blow uh, and a two goal I, I lead. I would definitely say that. In the last 10 minutes, yeah. All right. So, we'll look forward to that. Uh, again, they'll face it off in Minneapolis tomorrow at 5 o'clock. We'll uh, talk more about that uh, tomorrow. I want to thank Trevor Maddich for joining us, the big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright as well, too. You can check all that stuff up on the website. That'll be up shortly. And also, we're available on every podcast platform you can find out there as well. iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, they're all up there. So go check it out, tcmartinshow.com. All right, Ballpark, we will uh, catch you tomorrow. And we're going to get to the ballpark this weekend. Hopefully Las tomorrow Vegas will be a wonderful Wednesday. It will be. Al Bernstein will join us tomorrow. We look forward to that. Have yourself a good one. Catch you tomorrow at 2.